Okay, I'm here with a very clever man called Graham Cooper from the National Grid. And he knows all about electric car infrastructure. Effectively, how on earth we're going to produce all the electricity to supply all these new electric cars that are going to be on the roads. And it's frustrating for me because when I review electric cars, I spend too much of my time talking about infrastructure, not enough talking about the cars, because that's so pertinent to having a usable car, isn't it? So, Graham, I need you to help me debunk some of the myths around this and help paint a picture for what's possible for the future, okay? Because I spend so much time vacillating on this and I get attacked from all sides for being a Luddite and being a fossil fuel dinosaur. But I do love electric cars and I've really enjoyed the stuff I've been testing over the last couple of years. So from the top, what's your vision and the National Grid's vision for what's possible for electric vehicles? How many charging stations are there going to be? Are we going to see petrol forecourts turned into electric charging stations? Are we going to see people charging from home? Are we going to have induction pads in the roads? I mean, all this stuff yeah. we've heard about, what's possible and what's bunkum? So let's start with a really simple one. There's two components to energy, yeah. making the energy yeah. and the wires to get it there. Yeah. So let's split the two. So the first one is, um, is there enough energy? What's more important about is when you use it. Yeah. So. If we all have dinner at six o'clock at night, energy price is high, the grid is dirty, you don't want to charge your car at that time, it's nuts. Yeah. So as long as you have some smart charging, so whilst the car's stationary on the driveway or plugged in at work, it will charge when we're not all using energy. It's, that it's, will smooth that out It's night storage heaters, isn't it, basically? It's night storage heaters yeah. all over again, right? Yeah. So it's really, you know, this doesn't take a genius, it just takes a little bit of clever software. Yeah. So I'm already doing this at home, so I have a smart tariff. I have a little app and it will only charge my car when the grid is clean and cheap. Yeah. That does two things. It means my car is using, using clean electricity, yeah. big tick. What it's also doing is taking pressure off the grid and I save money. So the possible is already there. But home charging is not the, not the sort of the magic bullet. Not everybody can charge at home, not everybody has a driveway. But that means you need to have a bit of everything. So if you drive to work and you don't have a driveway, charge at work. It'll be the business's responsibility to do that. But you'll see them popping up in cinemas because your car's stationary for two hours. Yeah. So you need a bit of everything. There's no silver bullet. So it is, firstly, the grid will cope, but charging will need to be everywhere. Who pays for that infrastructure? Oh, that's a really good one. So at the moment, all of us pay for the grid. So National Grid, the transmission system, is like the motorway of the energy system. In your energy bill, you pay for National Grid, whether you know it or not. It's about £24.70 on an average bill yeah. for one of the most reliable grid networks in the world. So it's already a socialised cost, right? We all pay our share. The challenge we've got, though, is wires aren't always immediately next to roads. But the neat thing is, for at least the stuff we can help with, is next time you drive a motorway, just count pylons. Yeah. You will run out of fingers really quickly when you count pylons, right? Because it's everywhere. It's only when you think about it that you really see it. So there's a neat opportunity to get lots of grid capacity into all the motorway service areas. So that should overcome but who's those out-of-range... Who's going to pay to install those charging stations, those boxes, you know, you see an ecotricity or what have you? Who's going to take a punt on that? Is it the 
petroleum companies that need to make a big shift and invest in that? <laughs> is it the car companies that should be getting together and paying for it? Because the, 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 as you say, the grid is the grid. Yes. It's, it's supply, it can supply the energy yep. and it has a network of wires, as you quite rightly Absolutely, put Absolutely, yep. But it, doesn't ha- it can't make that final connection between the wire and the end user. Yep. And it shouldn't have to pay for that. So, this is, so there's a whole bunch of things. You've picked up a few things. So there are energy companies who are looking to do charging. There are car companies looking to do charging. There are service companies looking. Everybody wants to have a, have a go at this, and it's trying to work it out. The biggest challenge they find, though, is these are new startup companies with a three- or four-year business plan. Yeah. Grid infrastructure is expensive because it's really reliable, and it's there for 40 years. Yeah. So can you imagine going to your accountant saying, I want oh. to pay for all this big grid infrastructure, but I've only got a business plan that lasts three years. Exactly. So, so what we're actually starting to see, though, is government have started to see this sort of failure in the market. So what we're starting to see is um, government starting to form plans and ideas to find funds to basically put enough grid capacity in the right places. So in the last budget, they put 500 million into a fund. They haven't worked out how to spend it yet, but what they're going to do is put adequate future-proof capacity in all these right locations. That means the charge point companies can then compete with each other on a level playing field. Okay. So it, it becomes a bit more like the telecoms industry, doesn't it, really? In terms, yeah. yeah. So I understand that, and I think all the viewers do. But we still end up with a fragmented multiple supplier network. And Certainly, I think, yep. I think that one of the great frustrations, I mean, you're a, you're a Tesla user, yep. and so you, you know all about this. But if you, if you don't own a Tesla, yep. you end up with five different cards. You never know what's <laughs> going to work. You don't get, it, it, yep. is, it does feel, it's a bit like listening to radio in Italy. You know, you're driving along in Italy, listening to local radio, and you drive 300 yards, you get another radio station. Oh, right, okay. it's, totally unregul- <laughs> it's totally unregulated. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it just feels like it's quite fun, but yeah. it's, a, it's a soup of, of stuff going on. Yeah. And, and at the moment, that's what we've got. The, the, yeah, yeah, the simplicity of the internal combustion engine car user is that wherever you go, as long as you've got a debit card, you know that you yeah. can get on with using your motor vehicle. And for me, the, the definition of personal transportation is that that vehicle bends to meet your requirements. Yeah, it's yeah, infinitely certainly. flexible. Yeah. And I, th- I think a lot of people's frustration is that they've got, they've got an electric car, yep. but they, you know, moving beyond all the range anxiety stuff, you never quite know what you're going to get. So do, does, yeah, yeah. do you think government needs to say, to create a standardised transaction system, or yeah, does yeah. there need to be something to make it simpler? So actually, what's really nice, like, the reason why I'm smiling is, is they're already thinking about this sort of stuff. So um, pre recently, um, last year, they set up an, a, a group called the EV Energy Task Force. Yeah. Non-government people to go and think about this energy people, automotive people. Yeah. And we put a set of 20, I sit on that from the energy side, a set of 21 recommendations. Now, these are recommendations like, please bring into law roaming, yeah. right? Standardization of charging, standardization of sockets. So I guess where we are today, it is still early adopters adopting these things and you have to be wanting to be a pioneer to, to And also to you, have to be, you have to be quite well off. This is the other thing. It's, yes, it's, certainly. It, they are expensive vehicles. They are, but even... I mean, so two things. The first thing was, yeah. is with, the, with regard to, the, to the, the plan, these 21 recommendations, government are actually busy doing their... what government do, working out how would those laws take place. So I would reasonably think that within the next year-ish, you will probably see lots of these things mandated. I mean, we're actually likely to see... Um, than talking about when they're going to end the sale of combustion engine-only cars. Well, you can't draw a line and say stop without 
talking about the plan as to what you're going to do. There needs to be an alternative, yeah. This is probably in stream. It's just that I think, you know, as early adopters and talking about this, we've not seen it yet. But I think it's coming. Okay. I'm pretty confident that it's coming. What's really reassuring for me is that you've arrived in a Series 1 Lotus Elise. Not only that, (laughs) one for which you still have the original aluminium front disc brakes. Now, we're not here to talk about your release, but I, I... that means you've got petrolhead credentials to me, and I, yes. petrolhead is a, is a poor phrase. You're a, you're a, you're, I'm into cars. You're a car enthusiast. Yes. And your church is broad, which is, yes. which is actually exactly the same as mine. Yep. So uh, that, that reassures me. I, I, I just think at the moment there is a sense that we're being told the future is purely electric, and that's the only future we can expect. Is, okay. is that what you think? Or do you think there's something in synthetic fuels or something in hydrogen? Do you think oh, it's a mix of all of the above? The right technology for the right place in the right time. Yes. So if we're on this journey to net zero, you know, no more burning stuff, cars being electric is probably easiest. Can they be hydrogen? Yeah, of course they can be hydrogen. But actually we've got some more difficult problems to solve that hydrogen's probably more useful for. Yeah. You know, big industrial processes, that sort of stuff. So don't waste it on a car. Exactly. So, so I think what we're likely to see, at least for the next 10 to 15 years, is, is cars will be electric. Yes, in certain markets, hydrogen maybe, even around clusters. So if there's an industrial cluster where you're using hydrogen for industrial purposes, you'll see some hydrogen buses. But I think broadly, for at least the UK, electricity is, is kind of born out as, as, as the winner. There'll be more of a mix when you get into other transport and other uses. And, and we're pretty well placed, aren't we? Because our, our, our percentage of renewables that's producing electricity just goes up and up and up and becomes more and more impressive yep. by the year. It's just incredible, the mix yep. now. When you, you, know, you can go online and see what, what the production rate is, can't you? And yes. Sometimes it's amazing yeah, yeah. from where we were you know, in the mid-90s. Certainly. That's a massive result. We, but this phrase that gets banded about zero emissions does wind me up because <laughs> the... the the production process for an electric vehicle is inherently messy course, and dirty. Yeah. Batteries. Yeah. So the nasty metals that get used in these batteries, how, how much more of it is there out there? And can, can, can we create solutions to get away from that sooner rather than later? Because that does seem to be the unspoken issue here. Yeah, certainly. So I'm not an electrochemist, no, but yeah. there's some really good guys out there who will tell yeah. you about uh, the changing chemistry in batteries yeah. and using really, really clever stuff. The one thing that I often find that people challenge me in, you know, in that whole pub argument is, well, after two years, the battery's done and it's only going to go into landfill. What's really interesting from an, as an energy guide perspective is actually, from an energy perspective, I'm more interested in the battery after the car's dead, a couple of hundred thousand miles, because one of the things that's really important is, as we know, sun goes up, sun goes down, solar generation goes up and down in the middle of the day when we're not using a lot. Yeah. On windy days and quiet days, right? So... To smooth out those variabilities in the energy production, actually having homes with second life batteries in will be really important. So when people start to talk about, well, oh, the battery will be dead, no, no. Once it's done in four wheels, it'll probably be in a shiny little box in the cupboard under the stairs, actually helping the grid allow more renewables onto the system. So actually, when people say the grid can't cope, back to your original question, actually these things help smooth the grid, one as a car, yeah. And then the second life battery will actually help renewables grow in the future. As a country then, are we, are we topographically blessed with what we can produce renewably? Because we've got, we've got a lot of coast. Yes and no. Okay. Uh, for solar, no. less so. I mean, you know, we've all been to, to Wales and Scotland on a wet day and yeah. kind of thought there's not a lot of solar here. But the interesting thing from a UK perspective is if you look broadly across sort of European landmass... The windiest place in Europe is the UK, yeah. and we've got more coastline than anyone. 
So in the next 10-ish years, we're going to put three or four times more offshore wind farms in the sea than there are today. Yeah. And what's really interesting from an energy perspective is that growth in wind is about the same demand as electrifying this lot. Yeah. So when people say there's not enough energy, kind of call foul here because just wind alone, roughly in volume terms, that's we'll going to turn them. up, will we'll meet, meet this lot. And we're not going to turn this lot all electric in 10 yeah, years. Yeah, that, that, that I've, I've never... I've never subscribed to that, so I'm glad you've heard that. To, to have heard that from you, because I, I always hoped that was the case, but to hear that is, is fascinating. So I heard yep. an interesting story about this wireless charging. Yeah. Um, that a, a particular car company had been trying very hard to pioneer this stuff and get with it, and, and they worked out that if a cat got between the vehicle and the charging pad, it might end up being a cooked cat. <laughs> now, this might be apocryphal or an urban myth, but the wireless thing is... Once you've experienced it with your telephone or yes. your or your smartwatch, yeah. it's so clever. It's yes. like one of those things that I'm sure my kids still think it's magic. Yeah, yeah. But if you could make it work, yeah. it would be incredible. I mean, you could, if you could have it under a road, well, the possibilities are limitless. So just, let's manage our expectations here. What's possible? Okay. So, so let's, let's go back to some really lumpy basics. Yeah. 97% of the time this car is on the planet, it is stationary doing nothing. Yeah. So the best time to charge it... It's when it's stationary. Yeah. So the first thing is induction charging. So if you have a garage at home or somewhere, carport, driving across it, not having to plug in, absolutely. You can buy aftermarket kits now. They're a little bit clunky, but the tech is really getting there quite quickly. In production lines, so when they're making these, they're actually charging them in the production line through that process. Okay. Do we believe that there'll be a slow lane and you'll pull into the slow lane and charge up? There's something around energy density here that you can't get enough energy across the air gap into the car yeah. that it's using to move it forward that quickly. So if you're going to see induction charging on the road, it will be in car parks. So I, I see it in places where you would plug in now. You may not have to plug in later. Do we really see it in a slow lane? Probably not, would be my... I mean, but I mean, I'm happily proved wrong. But the cost would just be astronomical. It would be trillions of pounds to dig up. I suspect so. Yeah. No one's going to pay for that. Well, just, I mean, just think how lumpy and potholed our roads are. Can you imagine if you then dug a hole to put something oh, else in? <laughs> what about the cable TV, general, you know, the, the revolution of the early 90s, where every yeah. road ended up with a spine of crud running down it? We Absolutely. can't have that again. No, we? no, I don't, I, there's another reason why I suspect we won't see that. As a car enthusiast yourself, you know, at least, great credentials, are you excited by the electric future, or are you going to miss your old, dirty Lotus Elise? Oh, that's a really good question. I've asked myself this a number of times. So I'm three and a half years into two, three years into an EV. And when I first drove it, you're blown away by the acceleration, but that's pretty one dimensional. Yeah. Then you're blown away by the quiet. I mean, yeah. I see you nodding, so you, this obviously chimes. The so. quiet, I want to stop you on the but, quiet. The quiet's fascinating for me because we, for years, you know, particular classes of cars are yeah. defined by their refinement and of their course. quietness. And you would be amazed at the latest BMW Straight 6 and how smooth it was, yep. and then you drive a, you know, an amazing V12. And the quest was for silence. Yep. Now we have a powertrain technology that genuinely gives us silence. Yep. And we all sit there and go, oh, it's boring. Yeah, I know, it's so funny, it's, isn't it? It's, it's a paradox, it's it ridiculous. Is, it is, but it is. But the one thing I've really started to notice, so in the Elise, you hear, there's no sound deadening, so you hear everything that's going on, but a lot of induction noise. The one thing I've noticed when you really get into driving an electric car in a spirited way, um, is, is actually you start to hear talk. Yeah. You actually hear how hard 
the tyres are working. So when people say to me it's bad... You're hearing hearing a differential and you're hearing tread blocks. Exactly. So it's a different kind of sound. Yes, will I miss the sound of a beautiful V12 on full chat? Yes. But one of the interesting things about the transition is the day-to-day stuff, the stuff that does... 10, 15,000 miles a year needs to go electric. But what that does is that buys us all the time to have the classics that do 1,000 miles a year. So do you think we're still going to be allowed classics, though? Because the moment that the Lord Mayor of Bristol turns around and says, right, we're banning cars anywhere near Bristol, that's it, they're done, you know, anything with an ICE in it, you know, what value does an F40 have at that point? You know, you you can't wander and have a cup of coffee in it. What's the point in having it? That's a, that's a really good question. I, so like a lot of these things, I hark back to other changes that we've seen. Yeah. And one of the great things for me was somebody said that you know, in the 1920s, the streets of London were ankle deep in horse manure. The emissions were terrible. Yeah. Right? And then the car came along. We still have horses today. Right? Yeah. So I think like all of these things, there's an element of you, you keep the bits you like, you get rid of the bits that you don't but like. But the, the horse never became a social pariah. It never became the enemy. And there's an entire generation now, sadly, um, you know, I don't know if you've got kids or not, I've got, yeah. I've got young kids, and they are being taught yep. that the motor car is an evil thing, that it's a dirty, polluting, evil thing. That, and in many ways it is. But there are always two sides to a story. And, and no one ever talks about the social benefits, yep. the economic benefits of the motor car and what it's done to alter all of our lives. It's yeah, just yeah, now seen as something that's evil. And I, that worries me. It's portrayed yeah. as, as something that's bad for us. And it has done bad things, and we have got it wrong at times. And you know, pre-catalytic converters, they were filthy things. I mm-hmm. get all that. Yep. But it, so it worries me that because it's, it is cast as this pariah, yeah. that it might, not, it might not have any redemption. And that once they've got rid of it, selling new ones, it might be they get banned forever. Well, I think what we find is people get tribal. And I think some of that is quite harmful. Just because I like an EV, and I realise that that's the direction we're going, doesn't mean I have to hate the combustion engine. And I think the problem... You are in the minority. I think a lot of people do get tribal I'll, I'll, because they like to pile in on an I'll, I'll redefine that. The tribalism expresses itself through social media, as we know. Yes. So you're, you know, you're having a conversation around a dinner table. You know, you're not going to express yourself in the way that a lot of people do on social media. And the, the tribalism comes largely from the Tesla army who just cannot even <laughs> accommodate the thought that anything other than a Tesla is even yep. sanctionable as a road car. Yeah, no, and, absolutely. And, and they don't do themselves any favours, as we know. Um, but, the, but there is this underlying hatred of the internal combustion engine that worries me, I have to say. I think it needs to be a very grown-up discussion, and this is why these sorts of discussions are important, because it's, this isn't tribal, right? No, you know, and, I, and, I, and I think it's really encouraging, because... The minute it gets tribal, the debate is lost. But within the tribalism, you get cast without ever having expressed an opinion. What's interesting is, is, is it a failing of, the, of social media or is it, is it the tribalism itself? I mean, the answer obviously is it's a bit of both. Yes. But, but the fact that people can hide behind faceless characters on, on social media and express yeah. fairly unpleasant opinions, I mean, that's nothing new. No. But, it, but it, it does... It's not good PR no. for, for, for what's ultimately a really good cause. I mean, the electrification isn't a bad thing. Yep. And the one thing that, that's been fascinating for me during the last, certainly, two seasons of Top Gear is that it reminds you that everyone that, that loves their fast ICE performance car yep. for its performance has no idea what's coming. Unless they've yep. driven one of these things, they have no idea. Yeah, definitely. And, it, and it's not about, okay, 
Yes, they are. They're cleaner. We can go into that. There's a bit of a debate around how far you've got to travel in an electric car before yeah. it actually offers you that cleanliness. But they're profoundly fast, terrifyingly fast. Yep. The Macan Turbo S, sorry, the, the Taycan Turbo S is probably too fast for UK roads. I've never said that about a car before. Yep. But it's, its performance is actually out of sync with other road cars. Yeah, and, and you feel that in your Model S. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is even worse. I mean, if you, if you, yeah. if you nudge the throttle, you're up someone's backside. Yeah. And that's actually quite unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, f- the future is incredibly bright for performance. And, of co- and once you apply people with big foreheads that are clever to these problems, particularly the problem of, of, um, of charisma, of touch and feel, where these yeah. things feel a bit blunt, yeah. they'll find ways, won't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you've ever followed it, some of the really clever guys coming out of sort of Wolfsburg and, and from Audi as well, some of the stuff they're putting into the propulsion systems, the motors and the gearing and the torque vectoring, yeah. you know, they know how to torque vector an ice, they're now having to try and apply that to electric motors. And that's... Well, you've got, well, you've got infinite control over infinite torque, effectively. Yeah. So it's, they're fascinated. And the, the, the young guy that did the vectoring on the, on the Taycan, a fascinating guy. And his frustration is, um, and he remains nameless, is that you know, he's, he's putting a car to market that's probably tapped into 15% of the potential of what they can do. Yeah. But he said it's just time and experience for us. And we, had to, you know, we have to put the car out. But yeah. you know, even now, they've probably got something that's three times as good as what's being sold that's just lurking, ready to go. Yeah, certainly. Um, right, so behind us, we have this beautiful little Honda, which, which I have to say is, a, is such a charming, I've used that word so many times today, but it is a charming piece of kit. What do you think of it? I love it. It's like a panda. Yeah. But I tell you what it reminds me of. I'm old enough and long in the tooth enough. Yeah. It reminds me of Mark 1 Golf GTI. If you squint, the shape, yeah. round lights, it's very much sort of of that ilk. I don't think it's but, a coincidence either. But, but maybe not, maybe not. But um, rumour has it that you've been throwing this around a theme park. Yeah, we, and- so for the latest series, we during lockdown, lockdown had many downsides, but it presented certain opportunities. Yep. So theme parks weren't being used. So the producers just phoned up and said, well, can we borrow Alton Park for the day? So we, we had it as a kind of, I, I can't say racetrack, but we had it to ourselves. And my two, my two colleagues obviously got fairly Larry there. Um, they had a, we had a Corsa and a Mini. What was interesting was as an object, of course, this just wins hands down. Yeah. It's won the race the moment you turn up because, because it, it, it comes at the subject from a different angle. It's a bit like when Apple started making um, music listening devices. The, yep. the, the style they applied to it meant no one else mattered. This thing is so cute that no one looks at the other two. But for me, it's still not a solution for enough people. It's too expensive. It's got 150, 160 mile range, which in reality, when you're driving it in a spirited fashion, comes down to about 100 miles. Yeah. And unless you're an urbanite with a charging station outside your house, I'm still not getting it. I just yeah, think yeah. It, it, they need to have 250 miles and there needs to be, to come back to our first point, some more infrastructure. <laughs> yes, certainly. Is that a fair summary? Or my... it's, not, it's not an unfair summary. I mean, you, I mean, the thing that's really important when you think about having the right infrastructure in the right place and how you'd live with that is, I mean, the way I look at it, people need confidence, right? Confidence that charging is, is not a problem. And the only way to get that confidence is have continuity yeah. and consistency. So at the moment, what you have in liquid fuel form is a level of consistency and continuity. So you know you can just pull out and Absolutely. find a petrol station. Yeah. So we need to get to that spot, which is... How we're far on that away journey. are we from that, then? It's a good question. For me, as a Tesla owner with the access to the Tesla network, I'm there. Yeah. Range anxiety lasted four days to the first time I used a supercharger. And I found Done, that as well. Right? So, but the, so, but the, Tesla, the, Tesla, 
well, I have to keep using the word Tesla. The, the Tesla proposition is only 50% about the vehicle itself, which is deeply impressive. The yes. infrastructure maybe is even more, maybe it's less than 50% because the Certainly. infrastructure is more important than the car yes. for me. It works so well yep. and it's so seamless. Yes. So how, how does anyone match that at the moment? Well, I think it's, it's, it was a proper market disruptor, right? Nobody yeah. had done that before. I think Elon Musk realised he had a reasonable car, yeah. but it was worthless without the network. But when we look at you know, the UK, government is a really firm believer, right, that business will fix things. So it's tried to allow charging to find its way. But as you find a way, you find the shortcomings, hence the need to put in some grid infrastructure to support charging. So you know, that's what we're starting to see. So it won't be that long. I mean, if you think about the hockey stick uptake in phones, videos, iPods, all those sort of things, it is a hockey stick. But this is a much bigger problem with much bigger numbers attached to it because the potential costs of this infrastructure are so huge. Well, are they huge against the background? I mean, so at home, I'm lucky enough to have a driveway. And there's a grant for the charge point, so I think it cost me 300 quid to have the charger put in. And it was installed three years ago, and I've not thought about it since. Did they dig up the road? No. Did they have to upgrade the substation? No. So why hasn't someone come in and had a go at this? Because normally when, when an opportunity like this presents itself, you know, a profound change in yep. the way we interact with something that's a big part of our lives, yep. something or so, an organisation or someone with a lot of money will come in and say, I see an opportunity here. Yep. And they'll invest billions to be there first and to yep. take advantage of it. And no one's done that yet. And I always slightly smell a rat. And I, because it must be that either the margin isn't there yep. or they don't believe it's possible yet. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to take my national grid out in a minute. Yeah. I'll give you the Graham Cooper view. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the, the first thing is, um, if you're trying to sell, electricity is actually incredibly cheap for the motive force you get. Yeah. Right. So you have to sell a lot of electricity with a small margin to make enough money to make that work. So that's the first challenge. Yeah. The other thing is, I think at the moment you've got car companies trying to sell you a car. You've got charge point companies trying to sell you a charge point and you've yep. got energy companies trying to sell you energy, yep. right? So there's this bit of a mixed bag. But I'm old enough to remember that when I bought a mobile phone 20 years ago, I picked a network, yep. I bought a generic phone, yes. and I had to pay £15 a month just for it to ring, and then I had to pay a pound to ring someone. I mean, you're nodding, you? You, you, we're well, a similar yeah. age. But what changed in the mobile phone industry for us all to have one or two? They bundled things. So now you pay for your 600 quids of the iPhone and the data and the text and the calls for a monthly price you're prepared to pay. So the Graham Cooper hypothesis on where this is going is 81% of all cars are financed in some way. 51% yep. of all new car sales are company purchases. So why are you selling me a car? What you should be selling me is a bundled solution. Yes. Car, charging, energy, insurance, the whole lot. It's a no-brainer, it has to happen. It has to happen. It? Yeah. So part of the thing, the thing that would be really interesting, or that I'm interested to see, is when does that transition happen? So it took the mobile phone industry about five years of building networks because they thought the network was where competition was to realise it was about bundling and content. I think we are close to seeing people realising that bundling stuff, and that's what Tesla have done. What Tesla have effectively done is they've given you a bundled solution. So I think that actually the lease companies, the finance companies, are probably in the driving seat in the near future for that business disruption yeah. to package that. In, so it just becomes then mobility as a service. 
And that's where I think this could go to. Yeah. It's, it's, listening to you say that, that's easily the most plausible, logical solution, which means it almost certainly won't happen. Well, who, who knows? <laughs> I mean, look, I'm just the guy from National Grid. I want to make sure that there are no, enough wires I, 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 and there's enough electricity. No, I, but I'm, from, from a, a consumer... That's what you want to happen. That's what I want to happen. I want to pay an amount that I'm prepared to pay each month to have a seamless thing identified. The whole about. point of these things is to make your life simpler and easier. Yeah. The moment they complicate your life, no, there's no point. Yes. Which is why when I, in my darker moments, when I try and hypothesise where this is all going, yeah. I think it's a conspiracy theory to get rid of personal transportation completely because it's too complicated and it doesn't quite add up. But what's really interesting to hear you, and I'm going to wrap this up now, to hear you talk about is the, is the, is the network capacity. That's yeah. critical. When you say that the, the development of offshore wind farms will meet the demands yeah. of all the electric cars on the roads, yeah. well, that's nine-tenths of the argument gone for me, isn't it? You, exactly. It exactly. really is. Yeah, yeah. And, if, if that, and if you're saying that's a fact, then people have to digest that now because yep. it debunks a whole load of people's fears, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It also allows you... The neat thing for me is the fact that, at the moment, most people don't understand their energy bill feels a little bit like tax. Yeah. But if you have one of these you then understand what a kilowatt hour looks and feels yes, like in yeah. excitement terms. Yeah. But that then allows you to make some important decisions. You could then put some solar on your roof, charge your car. You've then democratised energy. Yeah. You're then in control of your own destiny. Who would have ever thought that, you know, it's almost like saying to you, you could be your own BP. You could have your own offshore platform, dig your own oil out of the seabed, refine it and supply yourself. Well, you're never going to do that. But in electricity terms, that's possible. Yeah. And that's, that's very, what I find exciting. It's just different. It's not bad, it's just different. But I still want to be able to drive an old Mini or a 2CV now and again with a bit of fossil juice in there. I know it's bad, but if, if it goes completely, I think it'll be sad. Probably not in your lifetime, I would hazard a guess. Do you reckon? Who, well, who knows? I think, I think we are in a huge change through corona, through climate change, economy. I think, for me... I'd be looking at the glass half of, half full. Yeah. And I think as long as the day stuff is all, you know, electric, the boring stuff, then your classic that gets, you know, two or 300 miles a year, I think that's probably the very thin end of the wedge. I think speaking on behalf of car enthusiasts, geeks like me and also Graham, it's very reassuring. There's someone with an Elise that works at the National Grid. Thank you for talking to us. Sorry if I simplified some stuff sometimes. I'm a bit of a Luddite. But um, it's complicated. that was, that was um, interesting. And I hope... Reassure it.